listening to The Bible, a second part of our essential series by Marty Shelton. For more information about The Church at Rutledge, you can visit us online at thechurchatrutledge.org. We've got, we're in this series called Essentials, and we kind of introduced it last week, and uh, you must be a glutton for punishment because you came back. And uh, we've got a lot of stuff to cover this morning, so I'm going to get right into it, so stay with me because this... Every Sunday through this series should really be a series on its own, just so you know. I mean, there's just so much to talk about, and, and you try to cram it into one Sunday. Uh, but I'll try to do my best to kind of hit the tops of the highlights and get those things across to you. It's why home teams are so important, because you can really dig deeper. You can get into the book that we've been talking about um, and, and learn more about it. Um, and so stay with me, because I'm, I'm going to try to move kind of fast. And today we're talking about the Bible itself. One of our essential beliefs is about the Bible itself and what it claims to be and what it is to us. Uh, The Bible is the best-selling, most distributed book ever. 2.5 billion just since the year 1815. 92% of homes in America say they have one. And of those that say they have one, they have an average of three in their home. Okay? And I know I have at least 12 myself that I just thought up real quick uh, when I was doing this, and that doesn't include whatever my wife has. And at one time, it was mandatory teaching in public schools, okay? I know that seems like a long time ago, but some of you probably... How many of you went to a school where that happened, that you, you, the Bible was part of the curriculum, okay? I know that shows your age, but that may have been a Christian school or the, in a public school setting, that was done, Okay? So you kind of go, why has, it, it, has this book been so important, so distributed, so read? Everybody's got one, you know, even if they read it or not, it's just like you have to have one somewhere in the house. Um, why, is it so, why is it so loved and so hated at the same time? Because there's people that feel that way about it. Christians get accused of loving their Bible, you know, and we have to be careful because some people misperceive it as making our Bible into kind of an idol or something that we worship. But it's, it's, we don't worship the book itself as a Christian, we, but rather we Christians love what it speaks of and what it reveals to us. It's, it'd be like, it's like having a picture of my wife and child, okay? And I, sometimes you go on long trips, if I'm in Honduras, and I have their picture, and I'll take it out and stare at it sometimes. And it's not that I'm in love with the paper and the ink, okay? It, it, I don't hug and kiss the picture because I, I love that piece of paper with, the, with, the, with that on it, okay? I look at it and it, and it, and it warms my heart and it just, I, I'm in love with what's in the picture, what this picture reveals to me, what the picture shows me. I'm, I, I, I love what the picture reveals, um, the one that the picture is the, about. And that's the, at the heart of the issue. The Bible itself shows us or is a revelation of God. It's the invisible God revealing himself to us so that we can know him. It's delivered to us, the Bible, from the mind of God through men so that he could show himself to us and we could know him and love him and worship him and share him and have a relationship with him. And we are the created and God is the creator and he is God who speaks to us. God wants to speak to us, okay? He wants to have a conversation with us, actually. And in Genesis, what does it say over and over again? Right from the beginning of the Bible, God 
speaks. God spoke and it, and it happened. It says like 10 times right there in that first chapter of God spoke. And, it, and it's saying God is a God who speaks. God speaks to us. He reveals Himself to us. Now, there's two classifications of what you would kind of call re- revelation that the Bible speaks of. There's what's referred to as general revelation, and then there's special revelation. And I don't have time to fully cover each one of these things in, in full detail, okay? But basically, general revelation is revelation that's available to all people, all time, all cultures, all places. It's just, it just is. It's just general revelation of God. And although it's general, it does tell a great deal about God, but doesn't tell us specifics like the name of Jesus Christ or tell us what Jesus has done, like dying on a cross in our place for our sin. The, but the Bible does speak of crea- things like creation being general revelation to us. And, and so like in Romans chapter 1, uh, verses 18 and 20, it says, "...the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness." Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. How has He done that? General revelation. And how's that? Verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse." He's saying you can look at creation, people are without excuse, and, and, and it's condemning already to, to, to say we can know who God is just by looking outside. We can, go, we can stand on a mountain and go, wow, this is beautiful. Well, God made that so it speaks of God's beauty, right? We, there's so many things like that that we can look around and just go, there, this is just the way the world's designed and things work, and you look at how science has been set up and how God has put things into place, and you go, there must be intelligence behind this. There must be a creator, someone who designed this to work this way. So you can, you can just look at creation and there's certain things that are just general revelation that we should get just because it's, it's there and it's for all people. So creation itself gives us much understanding about the character of God, and that's available to anyone all the time, anywhere. Psalm 19 affirms this as well, and there are other forms of this, but I don't have time to dive into the doctrine of revelation itself, and I, but I need, need to make sure and cover a big issue before us this morning, which is the inerrancy of the Bible. Now, special revelation, that's general revelation, special revelation indicates uh, that that revelation is very clear about what's being said um, versus general revela- revelation. A special revelation is to a smaller number of people, maybe even to an individual, family, group, or other limited number of people. It's not for all people, okay? Example, this would be like the angel that visited Mary and telling her that she would have a child by the Holy Spirit named Jesus, okay? That was special, specific revelation to Mary. The angel came and appeared and said, here it is, okay? Joseph in his dream of the, the of that God spoke to him in a dream saying, it's okay, I know y'all haven't done anything, but... Mary's cool, she hadn't cheated on you, and you need to stick with her through this deal, okay? That's, that was special revelation to Joseph, okay? So you can see the difference in creation, general revelation, and in specific revelation, okay? It was very 
special revelation of Mary and Joseph, and there's all kinds of other, you know, Jesus coming to the earth and walking among us was also a form of special revelation. I wasn't there to actually see him walk, and, you know, it was for a certain period, certain time. It's recorded in the Bible, and that's where we get the Bible as special revelation. But Jesus' coming was, was very, is a specific act, and he spoke in certain ways that were specific. It, you know, so him coming to earth was, was a form of special revelation. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, who he appointed heir of all things, and through whom... Also, he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Notice that right there, that powerful word. We're talking about the Bible this morning. That's what he's speaking of. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Jesus is the image of the invisible God revealed to us. And so 2 Timothy chapter 3, which is our main text for today, tells us that Scripture itself is also special revelation. In 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17, it says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Okay, that's an important thing we'll get to later. We'll break this one down a little bit more. All Scripture is God-breathed. Some translations say all Scripture is inspired. But the actual literal translation is God-breathed. Okay, there's a theos, pneuma kind of original language that speaks of God and air, this, this word that speaks of the, the word actually means God breathe, okay? And so all scriptures God breathed, and it is useful for teaching or doctrine, as we talked about last week, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It is special revelation straight from God, God breathed. And we'll talk more about that later and how that works, but you have the miraculous. That is special revelation, you know, the dreams, the angel appearing. Um, there, there's certain ways God speaks through special revelation. So miraculous or supernatural events, Jesus himself, and then the Bible are all forms of special revelation. Okay? Different categories of special revelation. So if it's not, you have to understand, if it's not God himself revealing himself to us, which is revelation then what we get into is us trying to figure him out ourselves, which is speculation, right? Speculation is us trying to guess what God is like and who he is and what he wants us to do. Speculation includes things like philosophy. You get into speculation and philosophy and spirituality, and religion is speculation, and so it's all just guessing at who God is and what he's like and our attempts to, to do that, speculation. So revelation is more, much more reliable, of course, because it's not starting with us, and we guess and rely on our thinking, and ultimately we end up creating God in our image, but rather it starts with God himself, and he reveals himself to us. 
So God has spoken to us through the Scriptures and tells us who He is and what He wants with us and why He made us and how to have a relationship with Him, okay? Scripture is what is referred to as is the text in the Bible. We say script, that's Scripture, okay? Scripture just means writing. It's just, it's a word for writing, and the Bible is just a word for, that means book, okay? So the Bible, it really is a book of books, okay? The Bible is. It contains a a library of books in one book, okay? That's where you get all the different, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all those things are, all those are books within this one book, okay? And, and this, this book, the Bible, I can't even, I don't know how to get across this morning adequately how amazing just the facts itself about this book are, okay? The various books written were written, when you understand this, you can't help but go, oh my gosh, there's something to this, okay? This, we're talking about a collection of books in one book written over a period of 1,500 years, Okay? written by 40 different authors, and we know who most of them were. There's some books of the Bible that we're not sure who wrote them. Um, like Hebrews, you know, there's, there's people who guess and say, well, I think, you know, and, or what, there's different books that they, they're not sure who the author was. Um, but the, it was, all these books were written in three different languages and over three different continents. They came from three different continents, Asia, Europe, and Africa. Yet none of these writings contradicts each other or contains any error, and they all validate each other and speak of the same thing. How in the world is that possible? I mean, how in the world could Moses have ever sat down with Paul and talked about this thing and, and got all this stuff right? I mean, how, how in the world did all this come together the way, I mean, you look at just any of the Old Testament books, how did any of those guys come up with all the same stuff? I mean, with the diversity that is in there, it, it's such, but yet there's such unity in the message. <coughs> I mean, there's cohesion or agreement like, there's, there's not anything like it over any period of time, in any culture, not, not a medical book, not a philosophy book, not a science book, there's no other book like it anywhere that can even come close to the complexity yet the unity of this book. And, and there, there's no other writings like it in existence. It's written by politicians or kings, it's shepherds, it's fishermen, I mean, it's the kings, the most wealthy of all, down to the shepherds, the poor of the poorest. I mean, the diversity in the writers themselves, I think, paints a beautiful picture of God saying, this is for everybody. And, and, and anybody can, can, know, can know this stuff and get involved in this, and, and I want everyone to know. And it just, it just shows his love for all people. I think is a beautiful thing of, about just how it's even put together. It's just the most amazing group of guys to write this. This wasn't a group that 
over 1,500 years, of course, they just didn't get to sit down together and say, okay, let's, what are we all going to write about, and let's make sure yours matches mine, and let's not, if you talk about that, I have to talk about it in the same way and, and give the same kind of deal. You know, it's, it's over 1,500 years on different continents. No way. There's just no way. No way this came to, together other than by divine intervention. It's just not possible. And, and what's beautiful about the Bible is it's shallow enough for a baby to wade into, but yet it's deep enough for a the, theologian to drown in it. I mean, it's just an amazing book. I mean, you can look at other writings like, say, the Book of Mormon, okay? Um, 1825 is when it was written, and by 1959, the, that book had over 3,000 corrections in grammar and doctrine made to it, okay? So if God was the author, why in the world He makes so many mistakes, okay? It, it just, that's the difference between other writings and the Bible, okay? Regardless of threat of weather and time, you know, the Babylonians had a bunch of stuff written back then that was mostly in clay tablets, okay? And, and we, you can't find any of that stuff, Weather and time has just destroyed all that. But yet, the Bible, which has even older writings, and I mean, you can just look at, for them to come up with taking reeds and beating them into papyrus and writing on that, and, and, and you find stuff like the Dead Sea Scrolls hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later, and weather hasn't hurt them at all. And we can get into how the scribes specially prepared the paper, how they specially prepared the ink, and how everything was done. You go, I think there's a little bit of divine intervention going on here. I mean, it's just nations have threatened to destroy it. I mean, even the Roman Empire itself, when Christ was crucified, said, we got to eradicate this. And they went on this spell of just trying to, during that time, and when Jesus came about, of trying to destroy the way Christianity and you can go there today and see 7 million graves over 900 miles of catacombs. And, and these things are still visible today of that persecution that took place to try to get rid of that. It's unbelievable. But nothing has stopped it. Nothing. The Bible has thrived. If you took all the other works penned, like say, let's go to the 50s and 60s A.D., Let's go back to then, and if you took all of the works penned in, the, in A.D. 50s and 60s, you could fit them between two bookends, one foot apart. All of them that we have, okay? But the New Testament, just the New Testament, you know how many we have? 5,750, Okay? How, how is that possible? And there's some 24,000 other pieces and fragments and documents, pieces of documents that we have too that go along with that. The earliest manuscripts we have was penned just 30 years after its original. 30 years, that's it. The, and that's the Gospel of John. We have a copy of it that's just 30 years old. Okay? 
And, and everybody wants to discredit the Bible, but, but nobody wants to attack all these other ancient documents and go, well, let's look at those real closely. How in the world is it that we just take Aristotle and, and Homer and all these, you know, Plato, all those guys, and we just take them, we, just, we don't sit there and go, that can't be true. What, that can't be correct because the manuscripts and things get changed, and we can't believe anything those guys said. or what These writings can't be true. We don't do that. We just automatically go, oh, it's in our school textbooks. It's true. Okay? But the Bible, no way. I mean, that just, that just we can't fathom that, right? Okay? Why did, I mean, you look at Plato and Aristotle and Homer. They, they, must, they have much less, way less credible evidence. Okay, the earliest copy of Homer's work, the Odyssey, was written 2,200 years after he originally wrote it. That's as good as we get. We have a copy 2,200 years old. Okay? And, and Plato and Aristotle, we have maybe five or seven or ten manuscripts at best down to as close as maybe 1,000 years old. Okay? But nobody discredits those documents. Nobody questions it. But yet we have over 5,000 copies of the New Testament down to within 30 years. Now, when you want to, and here's the deal. Let's take into account the, the level of accuracy of the ancient scribes that took care of copying these documents. I mean, you can, you can trust your copy of the Bible that you hold, okay? The scribes of the New Testament... That was a lifetime commitment to be a scribe. This wasn't just some, oh, I think I'll be a stenographer for, for the church, you know, or I think I'll just go be the church secretary and write stuff down from the business meetings. I mean, it, no. It was a lifetime commitment. The training for a scribe starts at age 14, and you know when you get finished with your training, how old you are? You get done at 40, age 40. That's the training period is age 14 to 40, okay? Once complete, when you went to copy a master document scroll, there, there was, a, like I said, there's a special way to prepare the document to make the papyrus itself. Um, ink was mixed to exact specifications, had to be perfect. They did 37 letters per line, okay, on a piece of paper, and every letter... Every mark was then checked by other scribes to, to check the accuracy of those letters. All checked and rechecked and rechecked. And, and there's a certain number of lines per page. And the way it was set up, there would be a center letter. And they, the, and they would even go so far as to say, is the center letter the same as the center letter? Okay? Any, any criteria not met from the preparing of the paper all the way to the final checking of it and rechecking and the number of letters and the number of lines and, and is everyone exactly identical, L letter by letter, dot by dot, mark by mark, checked, okay? And if it, if it didn't match, it was instantly burned. There was a ceremony and they took it out and it was destroyed and they started all over again. Now, when you look at like the Dead Sea Scrolls, which is probably our oldest known manuscripts, and compare them to copies 
hundreds of years later. Go back and grab the Dead Sea Scrolls, and then we've got other manuscripts that are older. And you can go hundreds of years, and you can find manuscripts that have, there's no difference. Incredible consistency. Matches. And archaeology has verified the Bible on all levels. Okay? No one has ever historically, archaeologically, however you say that word, okay? Nobody's ever dug nothing up, okay? There's, there's no science that disproves the Bible, okay? The only thing that has ever happened is that some of these guys have not only got frustrated, but they've become Christians in the process because they've proved it to themselves. There's story after story after story of guys who went out and tried and said, oh, that can't be true, you know, the, the pools of Bethesda. See, there's no evidence of those things existing. And then one day somebody digs them up and goes, they're there with the five porches, just exactly like it says in the Bible. You know, there's just, there's, there's, there's item after item. These guys go out and they try to disprove and they, they say, oh, see, you don't hear that argument anymore. They've kind of give up on that because it, it just doesn't exist. There's nothing that exists that doesn't validate, you know, it's from the Hittites to the Pool of Bethesda. You know, they said one time the Hittite, those guys never, that culture never existed. One day they find this, dig this stuff up and there's all these writings and all this stuff of the Hittite culture. You know, it's just the Pools of Bethesda to right down to Pontius Pilate. And you look at the writings of Josephus outside of of Scripture, and it just all, everybody was like, oh, he doesn't exist, and then they find this uh, Jewish historian who talks about him, and exactly all went, went down. They're like, uh, okay. You know, every time these guys do this, they just end up burning themselves. I mean, it's, there's find after find that verifies the Bible from outside sources, from archaeology and history. It's an old argument that no longer has any standing. Nothing has ever been found that denies one word of the Bible. The only thing that's ever been done is things have been found to verify it. Now, given that, it, very, it verifies its accuracy in history. You, you just can't even deny the hundreds of prophecies made by the Bible that have come to pass. Not only just how this book is put together, but when you look at it, and, and there's hundreds of future predictions made in the Bible that came to pass right down to Jesus himself. All these false prophets today just really get on my nerves. This this recent guy that was, you know, the end of the world was coming and all that stuff. You're not going to be able to do that, okay? One, the Bible says nobody knows when it's going to happen, you know. But there again, it's very dangerous to step out there and say, this is going to happen in the future. You you better know what you're you're talking about because... It's just there's so many false prophets out there that just just saying all kinds of stuff, making predictions about the end of the world. None of them have got it right, and they won't. But the Bible's predictions are always accurate. Then they've never been proven wrong. No other religious or non-religious book has ever done that ever. Let, let's say I just told you this morning that I could tell you the winning lottery numbers for the big jackpot. Okay, you'd all come back next Sunday, I'm sure. Okay, and let's say I told you, and you went and played, and you won. You played played those numbers, and you went, amazing. Okay, this church would be full 
we'd have to run like 10 services the next Sunday, right? The, the odds of me getting it right would be 1 in 10 million, or 1 to 10 to the 7th power, okay? If I did that two times, it would be 1 in 10 to the 14th power, okay, which is getting to be an astronomical number. Or it's the same chance as the, just the prophecies of Isaiah 44, if you look at Isaiah chapter 44, if just the prophecies of that came to, came to pass, which did, would be the same as me predicting the lottery numbers twice. Yet the Bible is full of hundreds of fulfillments. A man, this guy's name was Peter Stoner, he wrote about the 48 predictions about Christ, which are written 250 years before he was born. And he said that the chance that one man, 250 years later, could fulfill all those prophecies, he couldn't pick where he was born and how, how all that would happen. But here's a guy that it, it came to pass. He said the chance of one guy fulfilling all 48 prophecies would be 1 in 10 to the 157th power. Okay? That, that's like, have fun writing that number out. Okay? We'll see you later this evening. Okay? It's just staggering. Okay? If you could take the entire state of Texas and fill it two feet deep with silver dollars, blindfold a man, and specially mark just one of those coins, okay? And just randomly drop it in the mix, and you fill up the state of Texas. The chance of him finding it are 1 in 10 to the 17th power, okay? If you filled the United States two feet deep with silver dollars, specially marked one, blindfolded a man and sent him out to go see if he could pick out the right one, he would have a 1 in 10 to the 18th power, Okay, compare that to what happened with the prophecies of Jesus. Where born, what lineage, what house, etc. It's 1 in 10 to the 157th power. Okay, in other words, this Peter Stoner guy who's a, a brilliant mathematician, okay, he figured out, in other words, in 100 billion years... In other words, there's not enough time for that to come to fruition for one person without God's help. It's just, it's impossible, okay? Now, as you read your current modern Bible, and that's just some, I'm going to skip to a lot of things because I've got to give you a lot of stuff this morning. As you read your current Bible, you will see headings above various paragraphs throughout your pages, right? You, you come to a section and it'll say, Jesus denied you know, or Jesus enters Jerusalem, or it'll just, it'll, it'll give you a topic for what the coming up deal is, okay? Now, kind of subject headings for each part. Those were added later and are not part of the original text. They're not God-breathed words, okay? That's just, those headings are not canonized Scripture, and they vary from version to version, and that's just headings people came up with to kind of give you an idea of what was going on, okay? Um, just like in 1200 A.D., Chapter numbers were inserted for people to reference. It's kind of like, 
your street number for your house so that I know where to go. It, it, those chapter numbers were put in, like John chapter 4, so people would know to go to John chapter 4, so they know where to go, okay? And then in 1500 AD, verse numbers came, got added, okay? So all that's not in the original either, okay? So the Bible is referred to in what's referred to in two sections, is the Old Testament and the New Testament, okay? And there are 66 books altogether, 39 in the Old Testament and 27 in the New Testament. And we'll talk about here in just a moment why those are the books that are in there, okay? The Bible, for your information, if you've ever tried to read it, you figured this out real quick, it's not in chronological order, okay? But rather, it's grouped by types of books, or, or some may say it's different genres of literature, okay? So the first five books are the law, then after that are the books of the prophets, or together, and then after that are the poetic psalms or books of wisdom. They're usually referred to as just the writings, is that section. And that's the Old Testament, and those three parts, that's how they're grouped together. So it's not chronological, it's by a type of book. Then the New Testament starts with the biographies of Jesus, known as the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and, and then the, the epistles or the letters are together after that, okay? So the Bible is like a library with books filed by types of books like a library would be. You'd go and go to the fiction section or, the, or whatever, the kids section or what, you know, there's different categories. So that's the way the, the Bible is put together like a library, Okay. And so we believe that 2 Timothy, which refers to all Scripture being God-breathed, that's very important, it includes the Old Testament and the New Testament, and that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, okay? And therefore, we should study the New Testament, because some people like to disregard the Old Testament. Therefore, we should study the Old Testament and the New Testament, okay, uh, because it refers to it give, the storyline of the whole of the Old Testament, New Testament is about Jesus. It's the same thing all the way through. The Old Testament gives you the character and the nature. It, it helps you understand who God is. Okay, and so it's the foreshadowing of Jesus coming, and then the New Testament is Jesus came, and here's what happens after he came. Okay, and there's a 400 year gap between the Old Testament, and New Testament, where God was kind of silent, and everybody was like, "Okay, God, where you at?" And then Jesus showed up. Okay, and, and so um, you'll see in a moment the Old Testament is referred to many times in the New Testament. Therefore, again, if you say the New Testament is valid, well, it refers to the Old Testament so many times that you kind of go, this must be important. Okay, so you want to read the Old Testament too. You know, the, it, it, think of it this way. What Bible did Jesus grow up reading? The Old Testament, okay? So if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for us, okay? And so some people like try to discredit the Old Testament, but it's like that, that's what he had, you know? And by the way, this is an interesting thought. Um, Jesus probably had a copy. He didn't have the original that Moses wrote, okay? So you having a copy is okay, okay? I know that, that the whole thing just scares us a little bit, but Jesus... Joseph and Mary probably didn't go, hey, Moses passed this down to us. It's the original, you know, it, it, he didn't have that, okay? He just had a copy like all the other Jewish families had at the time, okay? And, and they were, the Old Testament was written uh, mostly in Hebrew, some Aramaic. Some people think there was a little bit of 
Persian words here and there because of things that happened throughout the Old Testament. Um, and then the New Testament is Greek. Okay, so it's three different languages. And so there again, it's just an amazing book. But the, the Old Testament is all about the coming of Jesus. The Bible's all about Jesus. It's all valid. All should be read and taught. Um, given that you have to understand that the, the Bible... Is the Bible is sufficient, okay? And nothing should be added to those scriptures. We're going to, t- we're going to get deep into why this, the scriptures, the 66 books we have are valid and what's there. And those 66 books are, are enough. They're, the Bible says it's sufficient and we shouldn't add anything to the Bible, okay? Deuteronomy says that, and then in Proverbs 30, verse 5 and 6, it says, Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, or he will rebuke you and prove you a liar. I don't think you want God to do that to you, okay? So that's why we say we don't take the Bible and print it with a bunch of, you know, I'm not going to add to it and say, hey, this is Holy Scripture too, what I'm writing, and I'm going to add to it, okay, like other people do. It's one of the reasons, one reason of many, why Christians reject the, like the Book of Mormon, the Pearl of Great Price, other texts that have been, been added to God's Word that puts them on the same level as the Scriptures, okay? Even the Book of Mormon, right in the front of it, as I've had a dis- long discussion with a friend of mine who I highly respect, great friend of mine. He's Mormon. We talk about it. But I said, how? He says, he tries to say the Bible's, you know, the Bible, they don't put the Book of Mormon above the Bible. It's equal to it. But yet in the front of the Book of Mormon, if you open it up, you'll read, it says, this is the most important book on the face of the earth, the Book of Mormon. Okay? It says that in the beginning. So how do you argue with me that they're equal? Okay? You're saying this is actually above. Okay? It's the most important book on the face of the earth. Okay? So that's why we, that's why I go, whoa. Okay? And, and so Christian science says that you may have to, add Mary Baker Eddy's science and health writings, and most Seventh-day Adventists will hold up the writings of Ellen G. White, which is their founder, her and her husband's writings. And these books are not Scripture. This, this, the 66 books right here, this is Scripture, nothing else. This, this is it. And it's sufficient, it's flawless, okay? Isaiah 55, 11 tells us, that not only is the Bible sufficient, but effective. It says that God's Word is sent forth and will not return void. It's not one I put in there, but I don't think I did, but it, it will not return void. It's going to accomplish exactly what God intends for it to accomplish. Okay? The Scriptures are also perfect. Psalm 19.7, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. And I like that because I'm pretty simple, okay? Now, now, that can get really confusing because, after all, who's, who is it that says which writings should go in here? Who, who's, who, does, who, who says that? Who, who says, what about the Catholic Bible, which has 14 more books that we don't have in our book, and they're referred to by us as the Apocrypha. They, they call them the... Deuterocanonical writings or something like that, okay? Um, Why do we hold to the 66 books of the Bible that we have? So stay with me as I explain, and I'll try to slow down a little bit, but I'm going to 
try to keep moving at the same time, which is difficult. But you got to go back to the main text where Paul said to Timothy, all Scripture is God-breathed. Okay, go to that again. Right there, it gives us evidence for the New Testament as well as the Old Testament. Sometimes Paul would quote the Old Testament, and then in Luke, he quotes the Old Testament with something Luke wrote in his Gospels and puts it under that umbrella of saying it's Scripture. So he's saying all Scripture is God-breathed. Well, what is Scripture? Well, and later he refers to other writings as Scripture. Okay? And like you look 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18. He says, The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching doctrine. For Scripture says, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. And I guess I'm preaching and teaching, so I'm not sure if I'm being referred to as an ox that's treading out grain right there, but okay. Um, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. That comes from Deuteronomy 25.4. He's quoting an Old Testament passage. And then he says, and the worker deserves his wages. Okay, that's from Luke 10.7. And in your Bible, it might be in red letters, which means Jesus actually spoke that himself, but it was recorded by Luke. It's in the book of Luke, Okay. So here is Paul including an Old Testament and a New Testament Scripture, and, and he's saying, it, it's, he's, he says, for Scripture says. So he's saying Luke is Scripture. Okay, so he's pointing it out to us that what we have in the New Testament is valid. The Old Testament will be easy for you to understand why we have what we have. The New Testament gets a little more difficult because you go, well, this is after Jesus and who made up all these rules and who determines. It... it, it it's God-breathed. God decided. We'll see that in just a minute, okay? And, and so Peter, even himself, then refers to the writings. So you go, well, how do you know Paul's right? Well, Peter refers to Paul as Scripture. In 2 Peter three fifteen and 16, it says, Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. In other words, as Bill Churchill would say, he should squash us like a bug, but he doesn't. And he gives us time to come to know him. Thankful that the end of time hasn't come already so that more and more people have an opportunity to know him, okay? So it's, he's saying, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes this, he, in other words, he's saying the things he wrote, God gave that to him, okay? Listen to what he's saying. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters, his letters contain some things that are hard to understand. Does that not make you feel better? Okay? Even Peter goes, that Paul guy, he writes some stuff. I don't have a clue what he's talking about. Okay? But he, God gave it to him, so we just go with it. Okay? So, because there's, there's things I don't understand. Okay? His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort. Okay? So people who like to stab at Scripture and twist things and take it out of context... The Bible just called you ignorant and unstable, okay? As they do the other scriptures. So he's referring to Paul's writings as scriptures. As they do the other scriptures to, Paul, to, to their own destruction. He says that sometimes people twist scriptures of Paul like they do the rest of scripture. He validates Paul's writings as equally valid scripture to all the rest. 
So when Paul is writing, all Scripture is God-breathed or inspired by God, he's thinking of Luke, which he, he's thinking of the Old Testament, and Peter was thinking of Paul. Jesus himself validates the writings of the New Testament and how these guys would get all this correct, okay? Um, the night before he was crucified, Jesus is in the upper room, and he said this to these men. This is one of those things, if you've ever heard me say, there's sometimes God just says something, and I get so excited I can't contain myself, and I just start pacing, okay? Because I'm like, oh my gosh. Do you, I, and I read this, and I went, how many times have I read this scripture and never understood what that meant? It just never clicked in my brain and put the two together that this is what he's talking about, okay? He says in here, John 14, 25 and 26, he says, All this I have spoken while still with you. He's teaching them stuff, saying some things. Uh, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, listen to what he says right here, will teach you all things and what? Will remind you of everything I have said to you. Because you go, how in the world do these guys, Jesus ascends back to heaven, and here we go along in time, and these guys start writing this stuff down. How in the world did they remember all that stuff and get it right? Jesus himself said to them, the Holy Spirit's going to come because the Scripture's God-breathed. So the Holy Spirit's going to come, and even when you can't remember, it doesn't matter if you can remember or not because the Holy Spirit's going to tell you what to write down and what to say. It's, it's, I mean, I just I read that and I go... He's teaching them stuff, and they're going to try to remember it, and the Holy Spirit helps us understand stuff. But I didn't catch the connection of these guys are about to write the New Testament. So he's telling them, hey, some, some stuff's coming. You're going to have to write some stuff down. Don't worry about it. The Holy Spirit's going to tell you what to write, okay? You don't, you know, get, get rid of your cliff notes over there, doctor. You know, it's just like you don't have to worry about it. It's, you'll remember. Holy Spirit's going to do it. That answers the question, how did these guys remember all that stuff and what's right? Holy Spirit, God breathed, supernaturally gave them the ability. Now, check this out in John 16, 12 through 15. He says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear now. Okay, that's a huge statement in itself. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. There's validation of the doctrinal epistles right there, okay? He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. That's a great validation of the, even just the book of Revelation, okay? Right there it says, he, he will make known to you. He will make this known to you, what's to come. He'll tell you what's to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. This is all coming from God. It's God-breathed. All that Verse 15, all that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Okay? So he's telling them, this, this is how it's going to work. And you're going to write Scripture. He's, he's not sitting there saying, you're going to write all these books and you need to call it this. He's saying... There's going to come a time. You, what you're going to do is going to be Holy Spirit-driven. It's going to be God-breathed. It's just all validation of it, okay? Divine inspiration straight from God. He's saying this is the mind of God being written down by men, okay? Perfect. No error for you. 
okay? As a Christian, listen to this, as a Christian, you cannot follow Christ and not believe that all the Scriptures are not inerrant, they're without error, and they are not from God. You cannot be a Christian and believe that. If you can't believe what Jesus says Himself about the Scriptures, how can you believe Him on any other issue? Well, I believe, I believe He died on the cross and saved me, and I'm going to heaven, but, you know, there's part of that tithing thing. I don't really believe that. You know, it's like that, this part over here, this over here, you know, the whole thing that, God, that the Bible is God-breathed and it's, men wrote that. You can't, buy, you can't say it's got error in it and have any confidence to say, I know I'm a Christian, Christ saved me, I'm His, I'm going to be with Him forever. Okay, if you're a Christian, you can't discredit that, the Bible, and think you're okay. Okay. That's why we say it's an essential belief that you believe the Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God. That's why it's an essential that we teach, okay? Paul later verifies this in 1 Corinthians 2.13. He says, This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. That's some heavy stuff right there, okay? Chew on that for a while. Actual words, he's saying this is actual words given to us by the Holy Spirit, from God to us, and it's spiritual stuff, okay? So it's, it's, it's not stuff we can come up with on our own. We couldn't make this up if we tried, okay? I mean, what guys would, I mean, if a bunch of us got together, okay, you're talking about this bunch of men. If we got together and we were going to make up some, book and say this is, a, this is what we're following and this is who God is, okay, would, would we make ourselves out to be automatically the worst people ever and say that the only way we can be, have salvation is through God coming to earth and dying for us? I mean, we, you wouldn't just come up with this system. I mean, guys would say, we can do this. Right? I mean, we, we would come up with some system that says we're okay and we can do this. Okay? Who in the world would make that up? It, it's just, it's spirit-taught stuff from God. It's the truth. Okay? Back to that deal about, okay, what about those other books like in the Catholic Bible? What about the Book of Mormon and the other stuff mentioned before? What, what canon is correct? Okay? Not a gun-type canon, okay, for some of you sitting here. But rather, the, what is the accepted list of books? The word canon means a measuring rod. That's what that means. Canonized Scripture has, has measured up to certain standards or a certain measuring rod. Okay? In the time of Jesus, there was already an established canon. Okay? The Old Testament categorizes, as I mentioned before, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms or writings, which was, they referred to it as the Torah, the law, the first five books of Moses, the Ketubim, okay, which is writings including the Psalms, and the Nebium, major and minor prophets or historical books. That's those three that I mentioned, the Law, the Prophets, and Psalms. And Jesus referred to each of those as Scripture, as the Old Testament, as He traveled on the road to Emmaus, okay? In Luke 24, 44, it says, He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. He says, there's Scripture. That's Old Testament. 
already established, that's, that's what Scripture was to him. Okay? He, he validates that. Uh, Josephus, a trusted and proven Jewish historian of the time, said that by the first century, the Jews had firmly placed what was that canon or accepted Scripture to be, what, the, what that was. There was no question about the Old Testament. Now, around 138 to 140 A.D., a crisis was faced by the church, and that was which letters, which book were to be included as part of the Scriptures, okay? And a man named Marcion of Sinope is the way I guess you'd pronounce that city. It's a city on, on the Black Sea in Turkey, had come to be a bishop in the church, and he decided to be unsympathetic to the Jews and said that anything of theirs is not to be Scripture, okay? So he threw out the Old Testament, okay, and most of the New Testament, three of the four Gospels included, okay? So, because Luke wasn't a Jew, so he said, we can take that one. And he's left with a messed up copy of Luke and 10 of Paul's letters. Became known as the Marcion Canon, okay? So the church had to get together, and by the 4th century A.D., they had established these councils to come together, and they were held not to decide on their own, and for, let's say what we think it is, okay? But to recognize what has already been chosen by God to be the canon of Scripture itself. Because there was this dilemma of people just going crazy, making up whatever they wanted to do. And how did they do that? There was a series of questions that they asked. The first ask, is it authoritative? Does the book come with authority itself? You ever notice when the prophets get ready to speak, um, they don't say, you know, I think this may sound funny, but I think God's speaking to me. And, and he, I, I'm pretty sure he wants me to tell you this. Okay? They didn't intro their deal that way. Okay? They came to authority with authority and they would say what? You remember Old Testament? Thus saith the Lord. Okay, you've heard that forever, Old Testament stuff. You know, very direct. Or the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying. It's very authoritative, very direct. So they would look at the document and see, does this writing have that kind of authority to it? Not, you know, I think God said, but... God said, okay? And the second one was authorship. Was it a known and recognized proven author, a prophet or an apostle, or was it a writing endorsed by a prophet or an apostle? As we said, these guys were saying, he's Scripture, he's Scripture. We know who Paul is. We know who Peter is. We know these guys and know their uh, reputation, so we know that they're of credible um, reputation, okay? So Luke... Um, was a Gentile doctor, not an apostle, but was endorsed by Paul and quoted by Paul. Mark was endorsed by Peter. And all, get the picture of these guys. They were validated by each other. They looked at the authorship of it. Then they would ask, is the document dynamic? Does it have life-changing power? Which is where we're going to finish this thing in just a moment. Does it edify and have correct doctrine? Okay. And is it already accepted by the early church was the fourth thing. For example, the New Testament writings, we have here, quote, hundreds of passages from the Old Testament. They quote each other in the New Testament. So they have given validation by other scriptures. They, they all quote Christ, etc. So take the Apocrypha, for instance, also referred to as the Deuterocanonical books in the Catholic Bible I mentioned earlier. What about that? Those were Jewish books written between 300 B.C. and 100 B.C., and in the year 1500 A.D., 
the Council of Trent of the Roman Catholic Church decided to decree that these books were now, never had been before, 1500 A.D., that these books were biblical canon. Why don't we accept that? Why don't evangelical Christians accept that? Why don't I accept that? Okay. Number one, the Jews whose writings they were and belonged to rejected them themselves before Christ ever came to the earth. These were wrote before Christ, and the Jews had established, here's what the Old Testament is, and they had rejected them themselves. Okay. Number two, Jesus never once quoted from them, nor did the apostles. Quoted from the Old Testament, but not from these writings. Number three, the books themselves don't claim to be inspired by God. Okay? They don't claim that like the other books do that we have in our Bible. And number four, the books themselves, came, they contain all kinds of error and inaccuracies, inconsistencies. Okay? You know I'm going to think about it, but I'm going to go here. Okay? Um, by the way, all King James Bibles published before 1666 included the Apocrypha, placed between the Old and New Testaments as historical books, they say. Okay? And after 1666, it was removed from the original what King James had selected. Okay? So don't, don't everybody crucify me after this, okay? But I'm just giving you some information. Am I saying that your King James Bible is no good or is not valid or is wrong? No, I'm not. I, I think the King James Bible is great, especially the New King James Bible, which, which updates. And as they came to realize that error and they changed that, that's great. Okay, no problem. It, it goes along with, with these criteria that we're talking about today. Okay? You know, and I just, I, I just, I feel like I have to say, I, you know, people get into putting down modern day translations, which can be more accurate than older translations, since we have more older transcripts to get more accurate translations. And to answer some questions, you know, you might have about certain things, like NIV. NIV is probably the most persecuted Bible on the planet by Christians, okay? No, the NIV does not take out anything about homosexuality or take away from the deity of Christ or take out hell. And no, a lesbian did not translate any of the NIV, as some people like to say, and say that discredits it, okay? The NIV does not leave out words, as some claim. Actually, the King James, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to get so many emails this week. It, it, the King James, it, when you translate something, let me just say it this way. Like I could say to Derek, man, you look cool today. Five words. Or I can say to him, you look good. Three words. Same thing. Okay? Translation. It's just how you say it. So people go, well, the NIV leaves out 300 for whatever words. Of course it does. It's a translation. Okay? The King James Version actually adds some things that are not in earlier manuscripts. You'll see that in some writings, okay? Like at the end of the Lord's Prayer where it says, For thine is the power and the glory and dominion forever and ever and amen. Okay, I'm really getting in trouble here, okay? That, for God, thine is the glory and the power and dominion forever and ever and amen, is not in the earliest manuscripts, okay? Am I, am I saying the King James is not valid, is, not, is wrong? No, I'm not. 
Are you going to go doctrinally crazy because you read King James or NIV or NASB, which is one of my favorites, or ESV? You're not going to get doctrinally messed up, okay? They're all good Bibles. If the King James works for you, it's fine. NIV works for you, it's fine. I just get into this thing of why are we battling over versions of the Bible? They're all translations. None of us know Greek and Hebrew and can sit and read the original manuscripts, okay? It's all translations, okay? And, and they're by reliable theologian, theologians and publishers who have sat and w- translated these things with accurate doctrine. They're not going crazy, okay? So just, just relax on the... I don't discredit the King James that we have today. I might the 1666 and before, and especially not the New King James, but anyone with the understanding of how translation is done would understand there's nothing wrong with modern translations by a conservative, mainstream Christian publisher. And I'd be happy to talk with anybody about that, but don't have time in, in this message. I've already opened up a can of worms as it is and messed everybody up, okay? I welcome your emails and discussions. I'll say that, okay? But I'm not saying you'll be led astray by this. Am I saying God's Word, God breathed, perfect, without error. I don't believe God delivered to you the copy you're holding in your hand, and it's with error that's going to lead you astray. It's not going to, okay? And by the criteria I've talked about here and what they decided these 66 books would be, those 66 books are not going to lead you astray. They are the perfect Word of God. Period. Okay? NIV or King James, it's just a different way to say the same thing. Okay? But it's, it's all perfect. Okay? But on the issue at hand, n- know the Holy Spirit did not lay down a list and say, this is the 66 books of the Bible, gentlemen. Put it in leather. Okay? Ra- rather, the Holy Spirit used a process of allowing the Word itself to speak and be evident what's from God. So you can be certain that what you hold in this book is the very Word of God, inspired, breathed by God. And sure, there are things you don't understand. Even Peter said, Paul's, you know, he's hard to understand sometimes. So take it easy on yourself. It's hard to understand some things, but you'll find things that wow you in between the hard to understand stuff. And you'll progressively understand more and more, okay? And the Bible may not tell you everything you'd like to know, but it'll tell you everything you need to know, Okay? And I can't understand, you know, I can't understand the dual nature of God. Well, join the crowd, okay? I don't fully understand. I know I understand some stuff, and I don't fully understand it either, you know, but I believe it. It's okay, you know? I can't understand the Trinitarian nature of God and that whole Father, Son, Holy Spirit thing. I don't fully understand it either, okay? Join the crowd, but it's okay. Here's the deal. Mark Twain said this. It's not the parts of the Bible I can't understand that bother me. It's all the parts I can understand that bother me. Right? Hebrews 4.12, For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. We don't like it sometimes, and we're put off by it just because of our motives and our heart, and we back away from it, and we don't like it. And say, I can't understand it. You, you probably understand it. You just don't want to. It is completely useful, trustworthy, effective, without error. Jesus, who told of how they would, 
get all this right through the Holy Spirit said it would be perfect. Matthew 5.18, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. It's preserved by God. That's why you can trust what's in your hand. It's, it's why the context, context, the verb forms in every part of the Scriptures are studied and can give meaning. That's why we break it down the way we do. Second Peter first. Uh, first chapter, twenty twenty one. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For, for prophecy never had its own origin in the human will, but prophets, through human, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, like a boat carried by the ocean. Here's a ter- here's a term that you can go Google later with your own in your own studies. Okay, we believe here at TCAR, as theologians say, is that we call this the it's verbal plenary inspiration, verbal plenary inspiration. And I've explained some of that today, but it's it's a seminary term that is you can go research more on. The Bible is the standard by which we function as a church and weigh everything we do. It's our highest authority. Okay because it reveals who God is and it's about Jesus Christ. That's why that is. And we can get all technical and seminary like today, but I want you to know more than anything else, the Bible is life-changing. Look back again at 2 Timothy 3.15. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That's where it starts. And if you read any other book, any other, you won't be saved can't find that in any other book. Only the Bible points you to faith in Jesus Christ because it comes from God. It's life-changing. It equips you for every good work. It's why we shy away from the Bible because it messes with us in our, in our innermost, in our soul. But it's all true, so why don't you read it? Read it. That's the stuff that will really matter forever, today and forever, is found in the Bible. Okay? Has, has the message of the Bible changed your life? If not, you're probably just mildly religious, right? And you've been inoculated with religion, and you're immune to the real thing, which is a relationship with God. The Word is most powerful when we apply it. James 1.22 says, Do not merely listen to the Word, and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Short story, and I'll close. An agnostic American professor once visited the Fiji Islands and came across a tribe that had been visited by Christian missionaries. He looked around and said to the tribal chief, You're a wise man and a great leader, and I'm very sorry that you have been tricked by Western missionaries who brought you the Bible and started this church. And everybody knows that now that the Bible was just written by men, chief, And this Jesus stuff is just nonsense. I'm sorry you weren't smart enough to pick up on that. The chief smiled and said, see that rock over there? That's where we used to smash the heads of our victims. Professor got real quiet. He says, and you see that furnace next to it? You see it? That's... That's where we used to roast the victims to eat them. 
were it not for that gospel that those God-loving missionaries brought into our culture and changed us from cannibals to Christians, you'd be supper right now. I would say at that point, the professor himself was very thankful for the gospel and for that Bible. As the praise team comes, I'm going to close with this scripture. It says in 1 Peter chapter 1, Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through Him you believe in God who raised Him from the dead and glorified Him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for one an- each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring Word of God. For all people like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you.